Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunity to be together as your people this morning. Uh, Lord, would you, as we gather around your word, would you change and transform our lives by the gospel of your son, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, my name's Tom. If you're new here, I welcome you. I'm one of the pastors along with Pastor Wade, um, and he's actually taking a little bit of time away, uh, just a few weeks really. It's hard to hard to get him to do that. Uh, and so that's why you see saw me last Sunday. Here I am again this Sunday. And actually, I'm preaching again next Sunday. So, um, and that's in my old, in my old timey days pastoring, I'm used to preaching a few in a row. So, um, I enjoy that. Thanks for the opportunity. If you're, again, visiting here, we welcome you. Um, you're our guest and we're really glad to see you. Um, I wanted to mention that, um, I lost my bookmark. I think it's here somewhere. I don't know if you picked it up. Um, it's true. I had a bookmark that an old coworker had given to me. And so I had to, get um, a Panda Express coupon to, yeah, and so um, to use as my bookmark. So if you see it, my bookmark, it's just thin and it's not a Panda Express coupon. Uh, I'm going to use that. Hey, Tracy, maybe we can use that for our next staff luncheon. Uh, it's buy one, get two. So anyway, I just wanted you to remember that. So we're in a new series. This is the second sermon out of that series. Wade will continue it uh, as I'll be doing uh, next week. It's on, since we had Easter, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, we're looking at what are the benefits of the resurrection to the body of Christ? What sort of, why does that matter? Am I cutting in and out? Why? Is it, why? I'm sorry. Is it because it's too far away or too close? Closer. Sorry, guys. Okay, is that better? I'll, I'll keep going. Um, so this is the second message. I just want to give a brief recap last of last week, um, we were looking at why the resurrection benefits us is because, and here's the bottom line I said last week is, we, because Jesus rose again from the dead, we get his person back. We get Jesus himself. He was raised in a new body that we're also going to experience a new body as well. We get him back. There is a quotation by uh, John Piper. I didn't share it last week, uh, partly because I couldn't find the book that it's in. I could find it. I couldn't find it online either, and I didn't want to um, just really. I, so here it is. Here's the quotation. I'm paraphrasing. Um, John Piper in a book on page 16, I think, and one of his. He's written like a hundred books, but he said this. John Piper said, "If you could have heaven." With all the food you love, with all the people you love, with all the things you ever dreamed of having in this life and the next, everything you could ever possibly imagine. You know, I'm paraphrasing John Piper, but he goes on and on with, if you could have heaven with all of this and the person of Christ were not there, would that be okay? And I say it's on page 16 of the book that I was reading years ago uh, by John Piper because I had to stop reading that book at that point because I was so, um, uh, I, I, it stopped me. I thought, wow, heaven, with all the things that I could ever dream of wanting, the perfectness, the perfect that, all the relationships, no Jesus. Of course, you know, as the church, no, of course we want Jesus. But, you know, the first century when Jesus was incarnate and the disciples and all the people that got to touch him and be with him, they would have easily answered that question. We want him back. We want to be near him. We can't have heaven without him. 
And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will continue to translate him through his word, through the body of Christ as the church, as we continue on until he returns, that um, that we know he's resurrected, that he came back, that person, where we'll have citizenship and have all the things we ever wanted with him there. So I talked about that last week. There's the recap. But some of that seems very much in the future. So today we're looking at how does the resurrection benefit me today, now, in my life? You think citizenship in heaven, great. To be with Jesus at some point, his person, like to have his body the way he was resurrected. You know, we have the Holy Spirit, but what about today? How is the resurrection, how does it benefit us in my life today? So Romans 6 um, these verses are ones that I memorized as a new believer uh, back in the 1800s. And because um, I, I feel like it was a very long time ago that I memorized Romans 6. Because I even had a box of scripture memory verses. It was sort of um, the way you did it with um, the navigators, that ministry. I don't think they're even called the navigators anymore. I know I'm dating myself. I know I used a Titanic reference last Sunday, and everyone's like, do you have any movies or anything that's not from like 12, 1912 or 1997? Tom, do you have anything new? Maybe not. But I memorized Romans 6, and I remember the pastor at the church where I was said, Romans 6 will change your life. It is the chapter, the key to the Christian life is Romans 6. It contrasts life and death. And actually, Paul is a genius in his writing, and that's why 13 of his letters are the New Testament. He was a a genius, and God's Spirit led him all the way. And this chapter, although Joanna did a great job, every time I would try to read through this this week, it was like a tongue twister. There's a lot of, it seems like it as you're reading it. Paul doesn't really take a breath in the Greek either. But it's so well written, and it feels a little bit like a riddle. But it's the key to the Christian life. Breaking it down, it talks about baptism, right? Uh, verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there are biblical scholars and pastors right now looking at these verses in Romans 6 and going to spend the whole time talking about the sacrament of, of baptism. I'm not going to. But there are things to say about the sacrament. Baptism from Romans 6, even verse 4, right here. But I want to focus on the newness of life that Christ brings. Yes, through baptism. Yes, by understanding that we have life, only life, in this life and the next, in Christ. In his death, in his resurrection. What Paul does is he uses Christ's actual death and resurrection as a metaphor and an illustration of how we should view ourselves and the power of sin in our lives as believers today. Paul mentions being united with Christ in verse 5. For if we have been united with Christ in death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So this united to Christ, tomes have been written by academics about what it means to be united with Christ. So much can be said. And as a church IGC, I hope... Spend the rest, you'll spend the rest of your history as trying to figure out what does it really mean to be united with Christ? Because we are united with Him. You as a believer, by the Spirit of God, you're united with Christ. 
What does it mean? Well, Paul gives two things. Being united with Christ means that uh, we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. But how does it work? How does being united with Christ, being dead to our sin, but alive to God in Christ, what does that really mean? Is it, as a believer, we're like performing some sort of Jedi mind tricks on ourselves that, oh yeah, I'm dead to sin, I'm a believer. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God, so I need to realize that in my daily life. I don't feel united with Christ some days. I don't feel like I'm dead to sin, at least the way I'm understanding what it means to be dead to sin. What does it actually mean? I'm asking these questions myself. I don't feel united. I don't, I feel the opposite sometimes. Is being dead to our sin, being alive to God in Christ, being united with Him, the united, is that some sort of collective mind thing that other religions might have? What does it mean? Well, one picture I think that scripture would give us is that we are betrothed. Right? We are betrothed to Christ. One of the ways to think about being united with Him is that we are engaged to the Savior, to the second person of the Trinity. We are His betrothed. I don't know if that's weird for some of you to think about, but I can remember being engaged. It was three decades ago. But I can remember um, how being engaged to Wendy changed my life. And thinking everything that I did from that moment on was different because I was engaged to her. In fact, I remember we were long distance for a while and I used a payphone to try to call her. I know, Titanic reference. That was 1997. This is a 1990-91 reference. So I'm going even further back. Anybody ever used a payphone? Catherine, you haven't, have you? No, not at all. Okay. I want to explain what a payphone is. But I was I was wanting to talk to my betrothed, to my fiancé, so I went out. Uh, I was in a, a college town. I don't need to tell you all the details, but I go out. I find a payphone to call her. I called her. We were a long distance. We talked and we talked. I kept putting change in, change in. I kept talking. We kept talking. And I was actually staying with some people that didn't know me very well, and I was out at a payphone really late at night. And actually, they called the police because they weren't sure what had happened to me because I was out, forgot everything but talking on the payphone to my fiancé, to my betrothed. And the police showed up and said, Are you Tom Savage? I was like, Yeah. Like, everyone's looking for you. I had completely forgot my entire life, except Wendy at that moment. Because we were engaged. Have you ever been engaged to something or, or someone or engaged with something that everything else goes dim? It could be your work. It could be your friends. It could be church. It could be your fiance. It could be your children. And everything else doesn't matter. And the police can show up. It doesn't matter. Hang on. I gotta talk to my betrothed. So being united with Christ that we as God's people are engaged to Him. And everything should be about that betrothal. And because we're united with Him, it means we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ forevermore. So how does it all really work? So we can think about being engaged. 
But how is it that being engaged with Christ, united with him in this way, the consummation is going to happen? It's sort of in the future, but we're experiencing some of that life now because we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. And that's only because we're betrothed, united with Christ. But how does it really work? How does the, That's the good news, right? How does the gospel really work? How is it that we've been freed from sin through this unitedness, this betrothal with Christ? To be dead to so I've, we've talked a little bit about being united with Christ. It's hard to try to figure out what that is. Now we're looking at part of it is being dead to sin, um, being freed from sin. How about that? The text also talks that we are freed from sin in verse 11. Consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. We are free. We're no longer, in verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. So we are free. So what does it mean? It means that if you are in Christ this morning, you're free from the consequences of sin. Wait a minute. The consequence, the real consequences of sin are hell and death. Those are the real consequences. Hell, you're freed from that. Hell and death, we're, we're going to die, but we're going to live again. We have eternal life. But hell and death, those consequences mean zero to Christians. Now, even the natural consequences that happen because of my sin, I mean, if I lie, there are natural consequences that can happen by lying. But even those consequences, because I am freed from sin in Christ, I can bear those consequences. If I lie, if I'm deceitful, deceitful, and that comes back on me, it's, it's made known. Because I am free from sin, those consequences won't crush me. They won't devastate me to the point that I can't live anymore. To be free from sin, to be, to be freed from sin, means that I no longer have to be blind to my sin. I don't have to hide it or hide from it. I don't have to sit in guilt. This is what it means if you are freed from your sin. If you are in Christ, united with Him, engaged, betrothed, it means that we no longer have to sit in guilt at all. We don't have to hide anymore. The church should be the freest. As we did this morning, we were corporately confessing. We did it silently, individually, but as a body, we were sitting together, silent, confessing to God. Because we're freed from all the consequences that we would feel would crush us. We can tell Him He knows already. So, I really want you, this is what I came to say. We freed from our sin means that we, we can look at our sin so squarely. We can be so free to look at every bit of it. I think of it like this. If you pull the thread of a tapestry, if you keep pulling that thread, the whole thing might fall apart, right? Or it'll take you to the back where it's ugly, maybe, if you keep pulling. Does that, does that make sense? So, as believers, I think oftentimes the gospel we forget that we can pull the thread of sins that we might be seeing in our own lives or what Sorry, I'm going in and out. I don't know, am I yelling too much? That's probably it. Maybe that's it. I'm sorry I'm yelling. 
So, if you and I on the sins in our lives, if we know that we're free from sin, we're alive to God in Christ, that we're His betrothed, that the consequences can never devastate or crush us, we are free to pull those threads and keep pulling. And keep trying to find, what's where does this go? Maybe it goes to the back where it doesn't look pretty back here. We can see all the ugliness. We can see all that's behind the curtain. And why is that? Because Christ has died. We've been crucified with him. We're his betrothed. The consequences of hell and death, are, those, those don't matter. We are not crushed by our sin. We're free from the crushing weight of our sin. Which means the church should be... The, the quickest to confess, the quickest to say, we're at fault. Why? Because we're freed from the consequences. We can let all those things fall on our Savior who died, who's crucified. We've been crucified in Him. We're alive to God and not our sin. So let me give you an example. Um, several years ago, I was pastoring, and um, a woman in our church came into my office frantic and she had just had a fender bender in the Safeway parking lot down the street. And I was like, I'm sorry, did you have insurance? I mean, she was really, really upset. I'm like, you're okay, right? You're physically okay. She's like, yeah, I'm fine. She was so upset because when that fender bender happened, she lost it on the other person that had run into her in the parking lot. She started cussing at them. She started, I think, I don't know if they had insurance. Some, there was a big people gathered. She was, she lost it completely. And she came to my office, which is only down the street, and she's like, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I just, in public, did horrible things and said horrible things to this person who ran into me. And clearly it was their fault. She's like, Tom, what do? How am I ever going to? We lived in a small. She's like, Tom, what am I going to do? I can't leave your office. I'm afraid. You were the first office that I passed on the way home. Thankfully, as a pastor, I said, oh, guess what? It's way worse than what you just did down in the parking lot down there. Your sin is so much worse than you losing it on someone who ran into you in the parking lot. Let's bring your husband in and find out how terrible of a wife you've been this week. Or let's really talk about how deep your sin goes. You just got a little exposure to your own heart. What that fender bender did by the grace of God was show you yourself in that moment. You really got to see yourself without blinders. What a gift. What a gift. Because now, what's, what's the only thing you can cling to? Uh, I, I, don't, I won't say her name, of course. What's the only thing, madam, that you can cling to now? This is a believer just like me, just like hopefully you sitting here today. She struggled. I said, just like you, the only thing you have left is the gospel. You're united with Christ. He's your Savior. That's why he died. The Safeway parking lot, that's really you. 
and not even. You probably were holding back a little bit, especially when a few people showed up. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Being freed from sin, I want us to think being freed from sin means we're okay to look at it in all its fender benderness, in all the things that exposes you 100%. It's okay. The gospel can carry all of it. Your Savior, your betrothed, and He's not going to break with you because you melted down in the parking lot of Safeway, or because you've not been the best neighbor, or because you're not the best coworker, or because of anything that you go to in your mind that you continue to repeat, and you just want to the things that you don't want on a dry erase board written very largely in color for everyone to see as they walk into church on a Sunday. Those things, you're freed from that. If that happened, if my greatest sins were put on a dry erase board in front of the whole church, I could, I don't want that to happen. But because being united with Christ, being crucified with Him, because He's alive forevermore, This moment, the gospel means I could bear it. It wouldn't completely devastate. If it devastates me to the point that I have to die or that something terrible has to happen to me, then the gospel's not true. Could there be consequences naturally to having all my stuff put on a dry erase board? Sure. Could I bear the consequences? Yes. Because the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done means that you and I could bear all my sin being exposed to the world. Your sin too. Whatever it is. So, Indelible Grace Church, this is what I will conclude with. We should be the most welcoming to anyone. We should be the least judgmental of people in any place ever. Because we know that everything exposed, it's fine because we are alive to God in Christ. With no pretense. With no hiding any of it. The thread can be pulled and the whole tapestry fall apart. But Jesus Christ is still there. To warm us, to keep us, to hold us, to be one day consummated with us as his people. He's our only hope. He's your only hope. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the opportunity to sit around the gospel a little bit and to think about these things. Lord, would you transform us? Would you help us to drop the act? Help us to understand how much you love us and that we are freed from sin and alive to you, God in Christ forevermore. In his name we pray, amen.